This program is intended for mature audiences only. Altitude adjustment may contain language, images, or other content that some may find offensive. Your discretion is advised. Welcome to Altitude Adjustment. Good afternoon, I'm Leon Davis, and you're listening to Altitude Adjustment, the week, the twice-weekly podcast about people, politics, and professions. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, welcoming my next guest. Him and I had a, a really good conversation, and it appears we're going to have some more after this. But I thought uh, it would be a great opportunity to share uh, him with you and some of his knowledge. And he's going to uh, um, he's going to light your world on fire. Trust me. Um, <laughs> make sure you are ready to ask some questions. Welcome, John. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, thank you for, for joining me. I, I think you're going to be able to provide a lot of great information. Um, let me start by um, having you share um, your personal journey, because one of the things I think you're most proudest of was your um, your change in health, change in, in how you saw health. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've had quite a varied background from nanotechnology researcher to being a marine engineer in the Navy, a uh, four-time entrepreneur with two failed businesses, as well as a globe-trotting uh, English teacher. And so it was during my travels around the world that I went from being an athlete to being morbidly obese. And that was as a result of some trauma that I suffered while while living in South Africa. So that that really began my own weight loss journey in earnest. And, you know, really before that, I would have thought that anyone who was say overweight was just lazy or undisciplined. But when I was stuck, really turning to food as a coping mechanism, because I didn't really have the tools at the time to, to deal with trauma, I, I found myself wading into this murky world of like diet and weight loss culture. And after a lot of failed attempts to to lose weight, um, I spent a lot of time and energy trying to find answers, I say, in all, all the wrong places um, and really became kind of spiteful towards myself and my body because uh, I'd repeatedly tried to punish it in submission. But then, you know, some real change occurred when I when I hired a coach who was able to really shine a glaring light on the problem that was staring back at me. And that was really my relationship with myself and, and with my body. And so he worked with me to really, I say, to heal my relationship with myself and by extension with food. That created this really seismic, I would say, paradigm shift. And because of that, I was able to lose, ultimately lose 100 pounds and, and keep it off. Um, I was able to break free from what we call the yo-yo diet cycle um, to be able to now maintain my weight. And it really, it wasn't a magic supplement. It wasn't a magic diet. It wasn't a magic exercise plan. It was really healing my relationship with myself and with food. So so tell me, explain to me what, what you mean by healing the relationship with yourself. <clears throat> Well, in a sense, I would say it really started with uh, a simple question. Maybe I would take one step back. Um, I I really had a, I think like we as human beings, we developed this sense of identity and who I'd become, this man that was morbidly obese, I really, I really hated the fact that I was that. I felt so, so much guilt, um, so much shame around it. Uh, felt so very frustrated because I was really struggling so hard to try and to try and lose weight. And when I thought there wasn't really uh, a way out of this, I just get, would get angry at myself. So he, this coach, he asked me this question. He said, Jonathan, if you make a list of all the things you love and value, 
How far down that list do I have to go before I see your name? And that one, ooh, like that one just hit me like a ton of bricks. Me being on the list of things I love and value, like that hadn't that hadn't entered my consciousness. And so it it created this this new perspective that I'm actually allowed to because I think I would say I fell into a pattern of behavior that was really almost like setting myself on fire to keep others warm. And it was really maybe tied to a sense of not feeling like I was worth anything, really. And so constantly having to prove myself and and take care of everybody else except for myself. And maybe even the idea that if I was to take care of myself, that that would be selfish. So thus began me trying to heal this relationship with myself and really started with this idea that I'm actually allowed to see myself as lovable, as valuable, as worthy of, of even caring for myself and even making time for myself and that doing this isn't actually a, a selfish act. So now you've, um, you talk about the trauma and I, I yeah. don't know how, how much you want to go into that, but, um, one of the things that you, you know, the first thing you said was you thought that fat people were lazy yeah. and that's the common idea that we have around trauma is that people, um, express trauma in a lot of different ways. And most of the time, because we can't see where that trauma came from, we can't see, yeah. um, why that trauma exists. We assume that the individual is the problem. Yeah. So, so, um, how did addressing that trauma and, and again, you could, you could go into the trauma if you like or not, mm -hmm. yeah. but how did addressing that trauma change your behavior? Well, ultimately I would say it actually, it, it set me free, but for, so trauma in one sense can really trap or in my experience, it really trapped me. So it was, it was four men tried to beat me to death. Um, and it was because of the color of my skin. Um, South Africa has a long history of racial discrimination and racial tension. These people didn't know me. They didn't know who I was. All they saw was my skin color. So they made an assumption uh, that I was a, I like to say I was a representation of something they felt had historically oppressed them, taken something from them. And so the response to that is to try to take it back, take back some of the power they feel was taken from them. And they did it in a violent way. Now, for me to, to, to be, to like experience that, like I, I would like to say, like, I'm a pretty open, compassionate, caring person. So to, to experience other human beings wanting to do this to me for nothing of my, that I'd done of myself, I hadn't, I was over there working with, um, with underprivileged youth for a nonprofit, uh, it was really, it was really shocking. Like, why would somebody do this to me? But one of the first steps was realizing this actually wasn't about me. So maybe I wanted to say like, I'm this good person doing this good thing and so on. And why would these people do this to me? Um, but recognizing that it wasn't about me. And then I thought if, if I want to be free from this experience. So after, after going through trauma, like I would relive the experience over and over again, that if I knew this, I would have done that. If I knew this, I would have done that. It's an attempt to rewrite the story, but ultimately I had to make peace with here's what happened to me and no amount of reliving it is going to change what happened. So then the next step is I dealt with a lot of anger and rage because it felt very unjust to have this happen to me. 
you know, um, four on one attacked me at night, like jumped me, but took me by surprise, that kind of thing. And I have a really strong sense of justice and fairness. Sure. So then I had to say, well, how do I, how do I get free from that? And, and ultimately the answer to that in short is really forgiveness, but how do you forgive people who don't have remorse and who probably would do it again if they had the opportunity? And it was to ask the question, what must've happened in their experience to get them to this place where they felt this was not only an appropriate, but a desirable course of action where they felt it was appropriate to do this to me and even justified to do this to me. That helped me to start to have a semblance of compassion for them. It and isn't to absolve them of what they did. It was a criminal act. It was wrong, but to at least understand what got them to that place where they wanted to do this, that understanding allowed me to start on the process of forgiveness and forgiveness was really the step to setting myself free. So I was no longer angry about what happened to me. I no longer had thoughts of vengeance and revenge and wanting to hurt people. Do you have any questions, Larry? Uh, Not at this time. You you're kicking I, around. I'm, I'm okay. I, well, okay. no, okay. actually, how did that then after these incidents happen, after this incident and what you thought, how did that start you on the road to where you come to being nutritionists, uh, okay. where you come to eating healthy, where you come to what does it, what did it do to make you think that, okay, I no longer believe fat people are lazy now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I used food to essentially medicate my difficult feelings. So some people, they might turn to drugs or to alcohol. These are ways that we can, I like to say, change the channel in our brain. And because I'm a man of faith, I didn't feel it would be appropriate to use drugs or alcohol, but somehow food felt like it was okay. Mm -hmm. And so I would eat what we call high bliss foods, like junk food, essentially stuff that makes your brain feel really good in the moment. Mm -hmm. And that's in a sense, smothering what I felt. The other thing, so pizza for me was, was like my biggest trigger food. And pizza is like almost the perfect food for creating a sense of satisfaction because it's very tasty. It's savory, sometimes a bit of sweet. Um, there's that soft texture, the bread, the, the tomato sauce, like, and it, but it's also very filling. And so it provides a sense of fullness and, and there's a real satisfaction from that as well. The problem was I would eat entire pizzas. I would eat entire like large pizzas in one sitting beyond the point of being full, um, feeling compelled to do that. So it was when I realized like, this is a behavior that I knew logically, this was not a good behavior. This was not a healthy behavior. And a part of me didn't want to do this, but I think it was a sense of, I don't have another solution right now. It was my coping mechanism. So recognizing that even though the behavior is not ideal and the behavior needs to change, um, at that point I felt kind of powerless too. So that allowed me to see other people, they're using food for something other than satisfying hunger. They're using it to deal with whatever the stresses, the traumas, their past history, the things that they don't want to be present with in the moment. Um, so this ability to, first of all, I think I had to recognize that difficult emotions don't necessarily mean that something is wrong. They're actually an important part of life and the ability to, to sit with them and be present with them that I wasn't going to break 
I think there's this fear that if I go through this experience, if I allow myself to feel the depth of whatever it is I'm going to feel, that this will break me. But what I learned is that we're actually stronger and more resilient than we, we understand. It's very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable to face some of these things. But we don't, I didn't break. And I think that's the important thing. So we avoid dealing with the, the most difficult things we need to deal with in our life because we're afraid that we actually can't handle it. But with the right support and connection, and like I said, I'm a man of faith, um, this helped me to go to those places and to deal with those really difficult things um, so that I could ultimately be free. Because it, it essentially, I say it has to come out. We have to metabolize it. Otherwise, we're just going to keep burying it with food. And really metaphorically and physically, this is what I was doing, is I was burying it with food, trying to smother it so I wouldn't have to deal with it. But eventually I had to deal with it. So for you then, so, so for you then getting to the root of the, of what your, your addiction was getting to the root of why yes, you were yeah. eating was the start of a solution. Yes. So then what was the next step after you, um, after you recognized that you had, you had gone as far as you can go and that you were, um, you were, you were killing yourself basically. Yeah. After you recognize that, you know, what, what steps did you take to, to mm -hmm. come out of that, to, to make sure that, um, that you're going to, you're going to move in a different direction. So my, my kind of my, my favorite, like single piece of advice uh, is compassionate awareness is the place of change. So, it, it sounds cliche to even use a word like mindfulness, but really becoming aware of what do I want this food to do for me? What am I asking it to do? Um, and then there's a, there's a term called urge surfing, and that's the ability to sit with an uncomfortable urge or impulse and all of the discomfort that goes with it uh, until a period of time passes, because ultimately these urges can't last forever. They have a lifespan. And very often the lifespan is really actually under 10 minutes, um, the, at least the most intense portion of it. And so it, like it, they come and go in waves. So this recognition that um, sometimes I need to sit with this discomfort. And sometimes that's going to involve connecting myself to another person. It was my coach. It would be my wife. Uh, I might be chatting with my parents, but really anchoring myself to another person because there's another fear in there that like of course if i'm if i'm experiencing this difficult emotion i'm gonna get like lost in it like fall into this black hole or this abyss but anchoring to another human being whether physically in person or opening a line of communication with them was really helpful just to have people sit with me in that moment and say okay look i'm having a difficult time right now i don't need you to fix this i just need you to be present with me and um over time ask the question like why do i want what do i want this food to do for me and then realizing, hey, this food can't actually, it can't actually do what I'm asking it to do, and so I need I need something else. Um, it's because a lot of our behaviors don't come from the logical part of our brain; they come from the more primal or emotional part of our brain. And so I, I said I call it like wrestling with my demons in the light. So. I had a coach who allowed me to come and talk about exactly what I did, the things that I struggled with. And it wasn't to let me off the hook. It wasn't that he was compassion. Isn't to get out of jail free card, but it was, let's understand why you did this. Cause if we can understand why you're doing this, 
um, and we can make you aware of these behaviors and what it's costing you, um, you'll have the willingness to be uncomfortable and, and go through the process of change because the process of change is uncomfortable and our nervous system, the primal part of it is really wired to seek out comfort and to avoid discomfort. But the human part of us, could I say, the soul in, in the way that I would express it really desires growth. We really desire to better ourselves. There's this innate desire for it. And so it's almost like we, we wrestle between these two things, our, our primal desire to be comfortable and safe and our human desire to be, to grow and to better ourselves and develop. And so really um, having someone to help me navigate that and, and show me this is why you want this. Because if we want to change, we need an emotionally compelling reason. Because um, the emotionally compelling reason ultimately will help us to be willing to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Did you have a question, Leonard? No, not right now. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so at any time during your journey, did you um, not seek, did you think that maybe therapy would help or, um, you know, getting with a mental health professional and, you know, trying to work out that issue? Did that ever, you know, come to you or did you just oh, yes. brush that off? No, I, I did some trauma counseling and I really can't speak highly enough of a qualified trauma therapist. They have the ability to, maybe I could put it this way. It's like they can open a box in your brain and unpack some of it in the session, resolve some of it, even though it may not be fully resolved in one session, pack it back up and put it back away. So you can leave that session kind of in peace. You'll know that there's things that you still need to deal with, but a little bit more of a gut resolve in that session. And so really, I would like to see us normalize therapy and, and actually not treat it like something that we only do. It, it, it's like only doing physical therapy when we get injured and then not doing any other movement. It doesn't make sense. We know that we can, with exercise and activity, we can proactively better our health. Well, if we were to treat like mental health therapy like that as well, something to help us achieve optimal mental health as opposed to waiting until we're in a crisis situation before seeking help, um, that would go a long way. And really that's advice I would give to myself in my, my past self is um, seeking out health, help sooner rather than struggling because you, you're kind of asking and Yes, it took me a while to get to the place that I would ask for help um, because I felt in that moment or maybe I felt because of the way I believed uh, myself to be a man and so on, that it was weakness to be asking or needing help. When I, when I eventually realized that it's okay to ask for help, it doesn't actually make me weak. Um, that, went, that went a long way to, what would I say? It went a long way to helping me to well to, to move past because none of us can really do this alone i don't think we're wired human beings are really wired to to go through the, the these difficult experiences on our own so um um i've, I've listened to i've never really had a, an issue with my weight uh, mm -hmm. the issue that i had with my weight is i always wanted to be bigger i okay. was um i graduated high school i was 188 pounds um, four years later out of college, I was 188 pounds. Uh, I didn't really start gaining weight till I got uh, sick once and they put me on steroids and I blew up to 240 pounds. Okay. Um, but once I stopped the steroids, 
uh, I stopped the, the binge eating mm-hmm. and the weight dropped off me like, uh, like anything. So, so I've never really uh, struggled with weight, but one of the things that I know, um, from just doing the podcast and reading and studying, and just, I also am a, a student of human behavior. Um, one yes. of the things I know is that, uh, you can't get to be overweight by yourself. You just, like you said, we need each other. So there is the category called the enabler. So, so talk to me about the enablers in your life. Well, I adopted this persona of the jolly fat guy, could we say? So we, we, we sometimes will adopt an identity to help explain our behavior. So I, I became the jolly fat guy, the guy who loved food, the guy. And so whenever, really it was whenever we would eat to socialize, um, people would always offer me food. Hey, you know, boy, you, you, you made that dessert disappear quickly. Would you like another one? Like, so it, it was, it was really almost anybody who, who was, I was engaged in a social situation with, they knew like it's an easy win to give somebody food and they're going to appreciate it, you know? And so it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily that it was one or two specific people. It was any time I was in a social situation involving food, there's something gratifying about somebody appreciating food you might've prepared and eating it. And I would do exactly that. And there's also still something with regards to hospitality, this thing that, well, we wouldn't want somebody to, leave hungry so we want to make sure they've eaten enough food so there there was that element of it where people people would offer me food and of course i also wouldn't want to turn it down and and food because it gave me such comfort and enjoyment um i i wanted to eat it so it was more like there was a lot of social enabling taking place in my life mm-hmm yeah, so, I, so I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Ellen. So, what made you eventually? What 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 made you stop the enabling, the social enabling, the you know just just the other yeah. people enabling? What made you put a stop to that to say, okay, I I got I got to do something different here? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, it, first of all, it involved me becoming at peace with my struggle. Mm-hmm. So accepting. So one thing I say, fat cells are a gift that keeps on giving. Once your body creates them, they're always there. You can shrink them, but they're always there waiting to be refilled. So weight mm-hmm. regains a very easy thing. Uh, weight loss, once you've been morbidly obese, is very difficult because the body remembers it. And remember, biologically speaking, body fat is like a famine reserve. And so... I, I just share this a bit of a backstory. So then I had to explain to people my struggle. So they would offer me food and I would, I would acknowledge the intent behind it. I would say, thank you. Like, thank you for thinking of me. Thank you for offering this. I really appreciate that you want to, you want to share this with me. Um, but I said, like, I, I have a struggle with food and I have a struggle with my weight and I have to work to manage my weight for the rest of my life. And sometimes that means I have to say no to things I would really, really like to eat in the moment. So it was this, when I finally became comfortable sharing my struggle with other people, so not not hiding it in shame, 
where I could just say, because, you know, like, would we give alcohol to an alcoholic? Would we offer drugs to a drug addict? It, it's not social that way. And so when I would explain to people, look, I've grappled with food addiction and uh, that, that impulse or those urges still live in my brain. They're, they don't come up very often anymore, thankfully, because I, I would like to say the less we repeat a behavior, the weaker the desire for that behavior becomes. But so it, it was really about explaining to people, this is my situation. And, it, you know, realizing in myself, it doesn't make me a bad person to have this struggle. So if I could just say, to them, hey, you know, I would I would love to. And I love that you're thinking of me. I love that you want to show uh, some affection for me through this. But I have to politely decline because this is my this is my struggle. And uh, I would love to, to I'd love to, you know, have a second piece of cake. or I'd love to, you know, have dessert or so on. But ultimately, it just makes my struggle harder. And I try to do it in a way that was gracious so that they wouldn't feel ashamed or awkward, but they would recognize, like, I appreciate the the intent behind the action. It wasn't about they weren't trying to fatten me up. They were trying to show me love and care and concern. So I think it's really important for anybody struggling with this, like acknowledge graciously that somebody wanted to do something for you and explain your appreciation, but also why maybe it's not appropriate in that moment. Yeah, I know that I was diagnosed a diabetic mm -hmm. back in 1999 and I had to, when I was up, on what I was supposed to do, I would have to turn down things. And that was just hard because yeah. a lot of the things I love are dangerous for a diabetic. I love sweets. I love cakes, cookies, pies. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to resist that. I love pasta. You have yeah. to resist that. I love bread. You have to resist that. I love rice, so I had to resist that. So I had to do more whole grain rice, whole grain pasta. I love potatoes and french fries. I had to resist that and uh, do more sweet potatoes and things. And, and, you know, when I do some sweets here and there, I can't do it the way I used to do it. I love orange juice and fruit juice, but, you know, I have to resist and, and and do those things so it's nice to know sometimes like in hearing your story and hearing you talk for the last 10 minutes that i'm not the only one struggling with this. yeah yeah <laughs> and and maybe i could share something that was helpful for me as well okay so one of my struggles was i the so the food soothed my trauma mm-hmm so I really wanted to eat it. But the other part of my brain recognized eating this food is contributing to my obesity. Yeah. So then I felt a sense of guilt about eating the food. So my response would be to eat the food as quickly as possible. <laughs> as though I was, if I eat it fast enough, maybe it won't have the same effect. Or I can get past the guilt, but get the enjoyment I was looking for and so on. Yeah. So when I learned how to eat slowly... Like my wife used to put her, her, her hand on my shoulder and say, you can take a breath. <laughs> like I used to eat like a dying, starving man when clearly that wasn't the case. 
And I would get, I would even get angry at her for pointing it out to me because I, I knew that even eating, like, have you ever seen a seagull, you know, swallow a big chunk of food? It's, I would eat like that, you know? Yeah. And I would feel ashamed that she pointed that behavior out. But when I got over the, when I recognized that I'm actually allowed to enjoy food, eating is an inherently enjoyable experience, but I had to shift how I enjoyed the food. So right. I found that by eating the food slowly, um, I could, because whether I ate, you know, six pieces of pizza or one, if I spent 15 minutes eating one piece of pizza versus six, I really basically get the same amount of enjoyment out of it. But then I don't feel sick and guilty and bloated and, and all of this. So I would, I would eat a piece of pizza, for example, with a knife and a fork, and it would drive people nuts because I'd cut a small piece of pizza, I'd put it in my mouth, and I would taste, I would <laughs> fully experience that bite of pizza. I'm gonna taste, I'm gonna taste that sweet and savory tomato sauce. The I'm gonna I'm gonna feel the sort of gooey texture of the cheese. I'm gonna and I'm closing my eyes, picturing it right now, you know, the, sure. the fluffiness yeah. of the, the the crust, you know. I'm gonna experience all of that, but I'm gonna do it in small bites, one little bite at a time. And I could make, you know, one or two pieces of pizza uh, satisfy me instead of needing eight. So the, the ability to eat slowly um, really was a big shift for me. Yeah, for me, it was one of the, I'm in the midst of making my shift uh, because I realized that me having a high blood glucose level mm -hmm. uh, was causing me different pains and what have you. And so when I got to the rehab place this last time, eating a whole lot less of, of the sweets and what have you, I felt the pain, the neuropathy pain that was in my legs and feet actually eased up. Yeah. And yeah. I got to the point that they didn't have to take my blood sugar every day because my blood sugar stabled. Mm -hmm. And like, since I got home, a couple of times, my wife bought me a no sugar added apple pie. Okay. And instead of eating that whole thing in a day or two, yeah. it would take me a week to eight or nine days to eat that same pie. Okay. Yeah. I can get one little piece. What I haven't tried is donuts, but I'm just telling myself when I do go back to it, I can have one donut, maybe two. I can't sit here and eat a half a dozen, a dozen of them, yeah, yeah, or a dozen of them. Yeah, but I haven't, I haven't went back at it yet because I'm not sure I can handle that. Because I love, especially donuts with fruit in them, like jelly donuts or Bismarcks. Yeah, uh, yeah. Fruit, uh, fruit cherry Danish and fruit Danish, and I just said no, I can't do that right now. And I'm yeah. finding myself just having the the ability to do without those. Yeah. To yeah. be able to say no, where maybe a, a few years ago, two, a couple years ago, I couldn't do it. I couldn't turn it up. Yeah. You come by with a dozen of donuts, man. I'm like, yeah, give me a donut in each hand, you know? Right, yeah. <laughs> so a couple of things that, that helped me in, in this as well and I, I i think you've done like wonderful in terms of having that shift yourself it's some it's say somebody brought me a pie and mm -hmm. I, I would i would cut it up into you know say eight pieces or whatever and i would freeze each piece individually okay so what i've done there is i've put like a little call it like a stop sign okay 
So if I want a piece of pie, first of all, I got to pull a piece of pie out of the freezer and maybe let it defrost because microwaving it, I don't know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't warm up evenly. Right. So I got to kind of wait for it to defrost. And then if I'm done eating it, like I have to, I'd have to stop and think, do I want another piece? And I've got this little barrier in the way, essentially, because oh, it's frozen and I'd have to pull out another piece and so on. So I kind of call it like the stop sign method, essentially, mm -hmm. which is just putting these little, or my wife, you know, bought this big bag of peanut M&Ms, you know, from, from Costco. They're, mm. you know, like a four pound bag or something ridiculous. Mm. So I would bury it in the bottom of the pantry behind a jar of pickles and a bag of flour or something at the bottom shelf. So that if I wanted to get to them, I'd have to move those things out of the way. So then I have to think about it. Do I really want them right now? No. Okay. Then I'll just leave those behind, you know? So the, the other part of it is I say, don't run on a broken leg or don't run on a sprained ankle. Mm -hmm. So it's okay to put a boundary in place. So you say, for example, donuts right now are really still difficult for you to regulate. So you say, just don't bring them into the house. And and that's okay. I, I do something similar. You know, I tell my wife, just don't bring these things home um, because I just rather not battle with them. Honestly, uh, it's easier to say no once in the store than a hundred times a day at home. Because <laughs> if they're well, there, I'm going to be thinking about them. Yeah. Cause you mentioned peanut M and M's, and I just don't do it. That's another one of my triggers that I feel that I would be too weak to do. And I love peanut M and M's, and I just say no, no, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah. Where last year I couldn't resist, I I wouldn't have that. Yeah. I'd bring them in, but I just said no, no, no. Uh, so I learned to bring sugar-free substitutes of things like, I love these pecan caramel chocolate candy. They have a sugar-free version. They have a sugar-free Reese's peanut butter cups. Okay. And I do those, but again, I don't do them too often. You know, yeah. like maybe once every two or three weeks, we I go buy those because my wife will eat them with me. And then when the kids ask me, Daddy, can can I get a piece or two of that? Can yeah, absolutely. Because that's less pieces for me to eat. <laughs> and yeah. then so so that's so just like you said, your stop sign method, we're putting the pie in the freezer. So yeah. I, I, I may need to think about that the next time we get one, just cut it all up and wrap them and put them in the freezer. Yeah. But well, you know, they 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 help they help me. So that's yeah. one way the kids help me out because they, because they, they, uh, like I got my sugar free cookies I eat. They're not yep. low calorie, but they're, they're not made with sugar. And my, my daughter loves the chocolate chip variety I buy. And so she'll ask me a couple of times, uh, daddy, can I get a cookie? Absolutely, baby girl, go get you some. You know, so, so that's help on me. <laughs> so one of the things that, you, that you're kind of doing here in one sense is you're recruiting other people that are close to you and put, making them a part of your support network, right? Okay. So now, you know, if somebody, if, I don't know, if, if you do most of the grocery shopping, for example, you could just, you know, not put it in the cart. But if your wife does most of the grocery shopping, you can say, hey, you know what? Because uh, I want to be here. <laughs> I want to be with you. I still want to, you know, I still want to, there's, there's still life to be lived and to be enjoyed here. It's better if you, if we don't bring this home, you know, so you recruit them to be on your team. Hey, if you see me starting to do something like, you know, don't, don't, 
the thing you wouldn't do is you don't you don't point it out to somebody and make them feel ashamed of their behavior you go you right. you know but my wife would remind me of why she why she wants me around you know mm. and that would kind of tug at my heartstrings a little bit and help me to it's that because the urge to eat that is an emotional one and you can't really logic your way around that right. you kind of need an emotional substitute in a sense and so when you know nowadays it's my son he's only six months old he's okay. this beautiful little boy i just love him to bits of course um the cutest boy in the world in my in, <laughs> in my totally unbiased perspective <laughs> but i look at him and i go that's why i want to keep doing this because I want to be able to run around with him because he's he's got legs that go like mad. And once he figures out how to stand up and run, I'm in trouble. He's going to yeah. be running. <laughs> yeah. And I want to be able to keep up with him. Mm-hmm. So that I call that my emotionally compelling reason. I want to be present in his life. And if I if I go back to my old ways and behaviors, I don't get to be present in his life. Right. So I, I just want to mention, uh, John's going to leave a little early. He's got... Uh, something coming up so we've got you know a little bit of time with him mm-hmm. um okay. so i want to talk or did you want you have another question leonard no go ahead okay uh um you know feel free to jump in um okay so so you have your own business i do uh, yes and and you like to be called coach i do <laughs> so, so share, share with us about your business and and uh we'll yeah. go from there so uh, I, I, my company is called Freedom Nutrition Coaching, and I, I'm, a, I'm a nutritionist. But why I like to be called a coach is because I think it's a little bit more, it encompasses a little more broadly the work that I do. A lot of people when they hear a nutritionist think, oh, he's going to tell me to eat more vegetables or you know something like that. And while that might come in to be a part of the discussion, ultimately the goal is to work with the whole person. So it's not just about what to eat. We'll look at things like why you eat, who you eat, when you eat, you know, how you eat, but you know, what about your activity? What about your sleep? What about your stress? So these other pillars of health as well. And my, what is it like kind of my, my focus is, is what I call, I like to call it like brain driven weight loss. And it's kind of a term that I've coined, you know, and it's to highlight the fact that it's our brain that really drives the decision-making and it drives our actions. So a lot of efforts to create weight loss, they, they're taking outside in approach. I'm going to impose these rules on you and I'm going to impose a whole bunch of them overnight and you have to follow this to a T and so on. Well, what that's ignoring is that it's our internal environment, our emotions, our mindset, our psychology, our habits that really are going to most powerfully influence our behavior. Cause a lot of our behaviors take place at the subconscious or unconscious level, you know, because our brain likes to form habits. It's an efficiency computer, you know. Our, so our behaviors are really driven by our, our, our habits, our emotions, our, our beliefs. And really we act, could I say, we act in alignment or in congruence with our sense of identity. For example, I saw myself to be the jolly fat guy. So I behaved the way that I thought the jolly fat guy should behave and so on. So if we want to create permanent change, because it's no good losing 30 pounds only to gain it back and a little bit more. So if we want to create permanent change, we actually have to establish a new lifestyle. So a new pattern of behaviors, a new set of habits, a new sense of identity. And we can do this because the brain has this really fabulous property called neuroplasticity, the ability to rewire itself and to create new brain cells. 
So that's that's kind of uh, in a nutshell um, why I like to work with people from an inside out approach and really um, put focus on working with our brain the way that our brain actually works. So now, uh, are you, uh, you know, I'm going to, I put all of the links in the, um, yeah. in the podcast description so you can uh, go to John's site. Um, well, if I was to highlight one more thing, because I do, I do work with people on weight loss, but I like this phrase, weight loss is a doorway, it's not a destination. Mm. So the truth is weight loss is going to improve most people's quality of life. You know, anyone who is overweight or obese, losing the weight is going to improve your quality of life. But it's never really truly about the number on the scale. It is about that quality of life. The number that we have in our mind is really just a placeholder for a future we think it will enable us to live in. You know, a future where, let's say, we feel comfortable in our skin. I hear that a lot. I want to feel comfortable in my own skin again. You know, we can wear whatever we want and feel confident. You know, we can live life more fully because we're not out of breath when we go up and down the stairs. So we can hike some mountains or we can get down on the floor to play with the kids and grandkids, right? So weight loss is really about the freedom to do the activity you want instead of the one you wish you could. It gives us the opportunity to experience life more fully. So I, I share that because I want to highlight for people that, Happiness doesn't lie with a number on the scale. Like I'll be happy when I'm, you know, 190 or 150 or whatever. You might feel a little bit of a sense of accomplishment, but the real happiness lies in being able to live independently on our terms. We can only live really truly independently when we have our health. And so that's why I say weight loss is a doorway. It's not a destination. So, um, a lot of the people in the lives of um, people who lose weight, hmm. um, they have either spent most of their time trying to connect with that person around food or around their behavior. You know, I'm not just talking about the enablers. I'm talking about those people that have, uh, so like my brother, that has been an issue hmm. for me and, and dealing with him. And so as he makes those changes, um, I try to do the best that I can to make sure that I don't, uh, you know, cause a piece of cake for me is no big deal. Um, sure. you know, I, and, and I probably have way too many pieces of cake, but I remember that I, I might have a piece of cake in April, but I might not have another piece of cake until December, but that's just yes. me. Um, do you work with, you know, the, the, the satellite people that are around in the lives of those people to try to help them, to be more conscious of how they interact with those people that are losing weight? Uh, not necessarily directly. I think because partly because um, I'm careful about, let's say, that how I might intervene, let's say, in a relationship like a marriage, for example. But rather, I, I would put forward, here's, here's the conversation that the individual needs to have. Uh, so I want to empower the person that I'm working with to have the confidence to have that conversation, that honest and frank and upfront conversation where they say, here's how I need you to support me. And it's a lot more powerful when it comes from the the individual who's trying to create change, say, versus me 
going along with this person saying, you know, you need to do this to support that person. Now, that being said, there are times when I'll say, hey, you know what, if you're, let's say if your significant other is around and they'd like to come on this call, I'd love to share a couple of things with them. But generally speaking, my goal is to empower the individual to be in the place where they're confident having that open, frank conversation where they can say, here's how I need you to support you. Here's, here, here's why. So a lot of a lot of efforts around weight loss, I think, involve like, you know, judgment, shame, coercion, and that kind of thing. Really what we want to do, like I treat anybody I work with, it's like I say it's two experts collaborating towards a common goal. So the client is the expert of their own life experience. And then I'll bring my expertise in nutrition and change psychology. And ultimately, it's, it feels a lot more empowering to have somebody work with you like that, where it's not, I'm the smart guy, you're the dummy. It's we're two experts with two different areas of expertise, but we're going to do this together. And so I want the person that I work with to be actively involved in their transformation process. And so with Lifestyle 180, that's my flagship program. It's called Lifestyle 180. Together, we reverse engineer for that individual a healthy lifestyle that works for them. So, so the um, I noticed all of these. You know, recently a friend of mine said that their son went on the keto diet, and okay, yeah, yeah, and then you've got this diet, and you've got that diet, and you've got the no meat diet, and you've got the half a meat diet, and you know. Um, how how do you in this world of quick fixes be able to communicate to someone that there it's a lifestyle change and not a food yeah. eating change yeah it's um first of all i think we want to understand why we're attracted to the idea of quick fixes right and it's because we want to believe the promise that weight loss is quick and easy it's an attractive idea but the the reality is that permanent weight loss is actually quite challenging and so I say that I'm a dietary agnostic. So if somebody comes to me and says, well, I want to, uh, I want to try being a vegan. Okay. I'll help you, um, optimize your nutrition as a vegan. If somebody says, I want to be paleo. Okay. I will help you because the fundamental principles of nutrition don't really change the, the, the sort of secret behind these, these diets is they all have largely the same fundamental principles, mostly whole foods. Um, lean protein, quality carbohydrates, limit your junk, manage your stress, get quality sleep and stay hydrated and be active. They're all going to be in that cat, like somehow like that. That's basically um, what they all share in common. So um, in a nutshell, I, I just try and help them again, in incorporate in the way that works for them, these fundamental principles into their life. So, <clears throat> so the Cato diet in and of itself, isn't the issue. It's just how they implement that keto diet within their, their health regimen. It, it, it may or may not be the best approach for the individual. For some people, it can lead to non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. For other people, it will help them to control their, their type 2 diabetes. And so, again, it's really going to depend on the individual and their, their particular circumstances. But I tend to take a more moderate approach to things rather than taking extreme, um, you know, like you must do this or you must do that. I really, again, I want people to ultimately feel empowered and say, and, and be able to assess for themselves, this is working and this isn't working. So, but, uh, on that note, um, I do have to, I do have to wrap up. It's been sure. an absolute pleasure chatting and I'd sure love to continue the conversation. Um, but I do have, I do have to, um, take my wife to a medical appointment. So I have to depart the show a little bit early today, but I 
really, really appreciate you having me on. I, I appreciate you coming and talking with us. Uh, um, you know, we'll look forward to possibly having you back. Um, yes. So thank Absolutely. you very much. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks so much, Jenlin. You Thanks betcha. Your we'll... time and your sharing. Awesome. You take care and we'll chat soon. Bye now. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Give me a second and let me uh, set this screen up properly. Okay. And then we'll just spend the last 10 minutes and kind of work through uh, talking about uh, weight loss a little bit. Well, eating and stuff. Okay. Oh, that's not, that's not on me. <laughs> What's that? Oh, uh, up. Uh and one of the one of the two screens, I see a little thing looked like it was some on the on the screen or something. Yeah, give me a or second. Or like a cut, a cut in a a cut in a long screen. You'll see it over my right shoulder. Okay. Okay, nuts. Alrighty. Under the side of my chin. Okay. <sighs> So hopefully, so I was sharing, huh? some, hopefully some people, somebody got uh, something out of that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So what else? What's and that? I was sharing the thing with, uh, that I was sharing. I meant that, you know, I was sharing it with you that, well, you know, I was talking about, I was able to actually take a few steps this morning mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. without holding the walker. And he just, you know, and, and it was there. So, you know, it just came out. Amen. <laughs> so, like I said, I took a few, took a, took some small steps. So, I'm uh, grateful for that. Okay. So, yeah. So this this was that. So so we'll just keep working, and who knows? In a couple weeks, I might be fully walking without the walker. <laughs> well, you know, I'm I'm one of those people. You know, you walk when you're walking. Um, yeah. And you have to get up every day. And you know you make you make strides every day. There are going to be days when you don't make as much progress as you previously right. did, and you can't look at that as a failure. You have to look at that as uh, being human. So right. uh, sometimes the things that we you know we we get so invested emotionally, we we want to yeah. we want to achieve something so badly that when we have a setback, it sets us way back and. It, yeah. it deters us from um, fighting forward. And that's what we don't want to do. We, it, it is okay right. to fail. Failure is how you measure success. Because yeah. And, and in general, how you learn, uh, sure. like what from, you know, me and my wife talking and discussing, we do a thing where I walk three days, I take a day off, and I come back and walk two days to take a day off. So five out of seven days I'm walking. And then, you know, I take two days off a week. So like this week I did Sunday, Monday and Tuesday. I was off Thursday. I was off Wednesday. Then I walked yesterday and I walked today. So I'll probably, you know, I'll probably be off tomorrow. And like uh, a uh, Wednesday, we, I was supposed to take off, but I got up and 
you know, after we finished our little lesson with the kids, I was getting my shoes to put them on because, you know, I, I just developed a habit. It was it was just getting up and walking. And, you know, and I do my leg exercises like I did when I was in therapy and stuff. And needless to say, this morning when I took a few of those, took those steps, about three times I took some steps without having to hold on to the walker, but I kept the walker in front of me just in case. You know, it was just inside. I was just jumping and turning flips and sure. doing everything. Sure. Yeah, and, success uh, is a good thing. Yeah, so this morning, uh, Merlin was gone. I forgot to have her put my shower chair in the shower for me. So I basically stood up to wash myself and everything and mm -hmm. bathe at the sink in the bathroom. And I was able to do it standing up. I was able to stand up that 10 minutes or whatever. And I just said, okay, maybe, you know, maybe in a couple weeks or so, I'll be able to stand up and take showers again without having to sit on the, on the chair. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it, it, today was just one of those days. It was a good day. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, um, so I always want to encourage motivation, you know, motiv yeah. uh, and I'm not just talking about just you. I mean, there's, so, we, you know, we hopefully we're talking to our listeners and, you know, giving them, uh, information that's going to help them also overcome any challenges that they, they had. Cause I brought, uh, John on to, uh, there, America is overweight. There's yeah. just no if, ands, or buts about it. Um, cheap easy fat high fat foods are readily available it is cheaper to eat a uh, a junk food diet than it mm -hmm. is to eat healthy they they actually they put a premium on healthy uh, foods so that they yes. pay more because they know that some people want it and it's a it's a you know so they can make more money out of it. So they're going to charge more, which really is to me kind of is bad is that we should want our society to be healthy. Um, and we should make, make it cheaper to eat healthy and more expensive to eat junk food. Right. But it was know. just like yesterday, okay. yesterday I was looking on the internet. I mean, I was on Facebook. And one of the fees was like, why is it that health food costs so much more? Mm -hmm. And I just said, well, we have the basic economics of supply and demand. Mm -hmm. And it's just that they know that more people want it so they can charge more for it and and get it, you know, and, and make more money on it. And, or more and people need it. Just, Huh? More people need it. I don't, if more people wanted it, we wouldn't be so fat. It's more people need health food. Uh, and right. then, and they charge that premium. Um, and it's greed. It's because, just greed. I, right. At the end, I say greed. Right. Because when I go to get sugar-free stuff, you bake and you do it the same way you cook. You're just not adding the sweeteners to it. You Less ingredients. And, mm hmm it's less ingredients, so why is it so why does it more? cost more? <laughs> but it's less ingredients. Well, okay. I mean, so to be fair, so if I uh, shut if I've got a machine that's set up to a certain way to create a certain product, 
And then you ask me to change how that product's made, even though it's not adding a particular ingredient, that means I have to do something different. And so there may be some additional costs on that. So I've got to pay somebody an additional $5 an hour to go in and close the valve on the sugar nozzle so that not as much sugar winds up in the batter. I, so, so I get some of that, you know, but, but again, I think our, as we as a society should do more to encourage one another to, um, to lose weight, to, to, to have, um, better eating habits. Um, and which is, which is why I had such a problem with, uh, this whole body positive stuff. I don't, I think it, it allows, it continues to give people excuses to not do the hard work. Cause it, like you, it, as we just said, it's hard work. It's your body craves something. And now you have to tell your body, you can't have that. Right. That's hard work. It may not necessarily seem like it. Yeah. But it's it's just like that with anything you, you get used to smoking for so long and you try to take your body off cigarettes, try to take your body off liquor, try to take your body off narcotics. Mm -hmm. Most people can't do it cold turkey. Mm -hmm. They have to go get some help. Now, Um, now when you say can't, I'm going to, I'm going to put parentheses around that word can't. Well, okay. You know what you know what I mean, right? Okay. Okay. But go ahead. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying you're wrong. What I am saying is I believe, that people aren't trying as hard as they need to, to make that happen because the human spirit is about, um, overcoming obstacles. Right. Okay. Here's, here's why I say that. Like if you get certain, some people, if they get hooked on alcohol and they try to just not drink alcohol, cold Turkey, and their body has the withdrawal response, mm-hmm. it could do things to them medically, mm-hmm. such as with narcotics. Mm-hmm. It could do things to you mm-hmm. medically. Now, that's not for everybody. No, but I mean, there's and some people, I don't, there's I don't some know. people have to go get medical treatment for, for those things. Mm-hmm. But like you say, is, is are, are, are you going to try? Are you going to go in and get the treatment? And, and everything, you know, will you go to the treatment facility and say, okay, I, I've been off this stuff for seven days and my body is just doing things to me, trying to get me to get back home. I don't, I don't want to do this. Some people can, they can just get off and they can go through the withdrawal and then not do things to them medically other than pain or what have you. It's a weakness for a while. And then when you, you know, you continue to, to, to deny your body, it will, it will, uh, it will, you know, just It'll eventually once you stop, once you stop doing what it is that you were doing before, your body will go back to a we'll state, adjust. it'll adjust. So, so when you say things like, um, people can't. I put asked, I put, um, quotations around that or something around that to note, um, you can, it's about your desire too. Right. So, um, sometimes people have to be, have to have other motivation than desire 
in order to get things done in their life. Um, so, so sometimes there may be a chemical reaction or an action, uh, that you have to go through and there is some discomfort. Um, but it's necessary if you want to change and, you know, it comes down to, do you want to change? Do you want that situation to be different? Yeah. What we've done to our bodies with these different addictions, uh, and, you know, we try to get off of it. Yeah, our body going to let us know. I want this. I need this. And you're not giving it to me. So, hey, here's what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, like, one of the things that made me not want to do narcotics or get hooked on any different drug was when I was in senior high school and uh, this uh, class we were taking, we there was five different classes of drugs. And we had to go find like 10 to 15 classes, uh, examples of the different five classes. You had to fill out this big old white charts. It took two charts taped together and you had to tell, is it physically addicted? Is it psychologically addicted? Uh, you had to get, you had to deal with getting like pills, regular medicine to show examples of, you had to get sugar and flour to show examples of opioids and what have you uh you got yeah okay so we're gonna wrap up we're we're down we're past our time um tomorrow tomorrow's show is not actually live we taped it on wednesday we talked to um art holiday uh and i'm sure we i got into a bunch of the questions that he's answered a million times but i hadn't seeing all of that. I had, um, I was one of those people who's, who had, uh, stopped watching local news because every night was, uh, somebody shot somebody and gun deaths and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, and so I am one of those people who, who needs to go back into appreciating local news. I, I like the, the, um, but anyway, Art's coming on tomorrow. There were a couple of questions I would have loved to have asked him, and I, I, I backed out of them. But it's still going to be a great interview. Make sure you join us tomorrow afternoon, or at least join that show tomorrow. It's going to be streamed at uh, 2 p.m. just as normal. Say goodbye, Leonard. Goodbye, Leonard. <laughs> that concludes this episode of Altitude Adjustment. And thank you for listening. This podcast is streamed live on YouTube and Twitch.tv and is designed for listener interaction. Visit the website, thelionsdenstl.wixsite.com forward slash home to join the discussion. The audio version of Altitude Adjustment is available where you get your podcasts, including Stitcher.com, the iTunes Store, and the Google Play Music Store, to name a few. Remember that the internet is powered by your likes, shares, and comments. So please like, share, and comment on this and other episodes of Altitude Adjustment because it matters. And as always, look out for the other guy because they may not be looking out for you.